0: Good morning, friends. Here in the sanctuary, those of you worshiping online, those of you uh, in Fairfax, those of you in the fellowship hall. It is. Really great to have all of you joining us in worship today. My name uh, is David, and you may not have seen me in a while. My family has been uh, quarantining over the Christmas holiday, and uh, I'm pleased to report we remained uh, COVID-free and so grateful to the Lord for his protection of us. I also want to express how much I miss being with all of you on Christmas Eve, Uh, and I also want to just offer my sincere gratitude to all the volunteers and all the staff and and all of you for being so flexible as we celebrated our Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve Eve and just all the flexibility and all the work that went into that. I'm incredibly uh, grateful. I realize it's been a hard week for this city, and it's been an exhausting week for many of you. There's lots of feelings of anger, sadness, grief, In fear, all of these emotions have flooded our hearts and minds, and I can't think of anything better than to spend a few moments, a few moments, hearing God's voice uh, from His word. So I'm eager to do that with you. Last week, we kicked off our new sermon series. Bill preached a great sermon on Acts 1 and 2. So if you haven't had a chance, go and listen to that. It really sets up the context uh, for the book of Acts. And so I would commend that to you if you haven't had a chance to, to listen to it yet. Our sermon series, as you may have noticed, is titled Unwavering, and over the next 12 weeks, we're going to be looking at what are God's purposes for his church? What are God's purposes for me and you as we follow Jesus, and how does he empower us to follow him. And so that's what we're doing over these 12 weeks uh, ahead of Easter. And, and my prayer has been for our church family, for the Capitol Press family, and, and, and for all Christians, really, that, that we would, as, as Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a pastor, put it, that we would recapture something of the early church's confidence, enthusiasm, vision, and power without romanticizing the early church, and and missing in Acts the rivalries, the hypocrisies, the immoralities, and the heresies. That's been my prayer, that we would recapture without romanticizing. I think it's an important time for Christians to understand God's purposes for the church without overlooking its failures. I need, I think we need a clear, a compelling, and a challenging vision of what the church is and of what the church isn't. And for those of you who wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, or maybe some of you who would describe yourself as being spiritual, but having, not wanting to have anything to do with organized religion or the church, first of all, I'd say to you, welcome. <laughs> we're really glad that you're here. And I invite you to walk along with us over the next few months to see an honest and a beautiful picture of what he wants his church to be and to do. You were invited to hear what Jesus actually teaches and cultivates in his followers. So friends and guests, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2, just looking at a few verses this morning, verses 42 through 47. And let's listen carefully and intently to this amazing description of the early Christian movement, what was happening in the lives of these 3,100 new Christians. So Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. I ask that you would help us. I ask that you would help me, that we would see your beautiful plans to to prosper us and to not harm us, to give us a hope and a future. Holy Spirit, help us, help me to see Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. So my siblings and I got a Christmas gift for my parents called Storyworth. And once a week, they get an email with questions to answer, sharing about stories in their lives. And they're sent to us. And then at the end of a year, they're they're combined into a book. And, And don't worry, Mom and Dad, I know you're watching. I'm not sharing any of your stories now. But this gift, story worth, it made me think about my own life. And it made me reflect on this question. What stories will my loved ones share about me one day? What what stories will my kids and, and maybe my grandkids tell about me one day? Have you ever considered that question? What stories will be shared about you when your life on this earth is done? Perhaps some of you are in this stage of introspection in your life now, maybe because of the age that you are, or maybe it's because of the pandemic. Maybe the pandemic has caused you to be thoughtful and to reflect on the life that you are currently living. Now, when this pandemic began nine years ago, I mean, it just seems like that, right? and school, and work, and church, and all that went remote, our house was pandemonium. It was absolutely crazy, right? All of a sudden, in just a matter of days, I had to be an educator, an IT specialist, a father, a husband, a pastor, and a scavenger for TP throughout the known earth. (laughs) And after a few weeks of failing at all of this... (laughs) my wife and I looked at each other and said, this has got to change. (laughs) We can't continue doing this. And we began to ask this question. When this pandemic is over, and one day it will end, when this pandemic is over, what stories will our kids tell? When this pandemic is over, because these are the types of stories we hear about, You know, our great grandparents during the Great Depression or during World Wars, they tell stories. And our kids are going to tell stories about what it was like during the pandemic of 2020 and 2021. And so my wife and I were asking, what stories do we want our kids to tell? And that question began to change how we approached our work, how we approached our family, how we approached uh, just scavenging even for TP. (laughs) We thought, when this is over, this is what we want our kids to say, right? Our kids are young enough. This is what we want them to say. Man, that was weird, and that was hard at times. I didn't get to do birthdays with my kids, but you know what? Or my friends. But I really saw my parents love each other. And we really felt loved, and we even had some fun in the midst of it. Now, I know it's been a hard season, but we've tried to do things like camping out in the backyard and prioritizing just how we're interacting with one another in the home. And I'm here to tell you that we are stumbling through that, we are failing every single day, but we have a picture. We have a vision of what we aspire to be and to do in our home in a daily basis. And I've also been asking that same question, not just for my my family, but I've been asking that question for our church, for the Capital Press family. When we get to the end of this pandemic, what stories will people share about this church? What stories will you share about this church? What will you remember when we get to the end of this pandemic? Well, that's what our passage is about today. These are the stories that were told about the early Christian Movement. The stories about this small group of outcast Jesus followers that spread the gospel throughout the Greco-Roman Empire. It's a beautiful picture, a beautiful description of what we aspire to be as we are changed by grace. So, I just want to walk you through three stories from this passage that Doctor Luke tells us about. Jerusalem Presbyterian Church, the first story that Dr. Luke tells us about this early church is this. Man, they had awe in their souls and generosity and gladness in their hearts. They had awe in their souls and generosity and gladness in their hearts. We see that description in verse 43 and in verse 46. And I said, I want that. (laughs) But what caused that response in their souls and in their hearts? We'll look down at verse 42, the first verse we read today. It says that they devoted. That means to give themselves they gave themselves to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And you're like, oh, I can do that. I love breadsticks, especially from Olive Gardens. If, that, if that's all it takes to have awe in my soul, then count me in. Right? What, what is it talking about? Right? There's not just talking about some Olive Garden breadsticks. It says the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And scholars and commentators are agreed that what is being referenced here is a reference to liturgy, the breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, the sacraments, and a discipline of praying called the prayers. What they're talking about is a worship service. Not something that was random, but it was worship where they met with God and it filled the people with quiet wonder and humility. Because when they came to worship, they experienced the presence of God. And when they did, at times, there was quiet humility before who God is and what He was doing. That's what one aspect of worship is, quiet wonder and humility. But at the beginning of verse 46, we're also told a little bit more about their worship. It tells us that their worship happened not only in the temple, but it also happened in their homes. This surely means that there was both an informal act of worship and a formal act of worship. They met in small home groups and in also the large temple group. And and notice it was not always somber. It was worship that was full of loud, exuberant joy because of what God had done for them. The awe, the generosity, and the gladness of these early followers of Jesus was cultivated by a regular celebration of who God is and what he had done for them. And it made people think, man, they're so full of joy, they're drunk. And it's like, they're not drunk. They're full of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens When we encounter the triune God of the Bible, at times there is quiet humility and wonder before God. And at times there is loud, exuberant activity and joy. And do you know what motivated this in them? What did they know? They knew that Jesus, for the joy, remember what we said the joy is? That joy was you and me. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. They knew that Jesus had promised to present us before the presence of God with what? With great gladness. <laughs> and, and Jesus was generous because what? He became poor. So that we might become rich. Some of you need to hear that today. Friends, God doesn't just love you, He's delighted to see you and to welcome you into His presence. God doesn't just love you, He's delighted to see you in this moment. No matter where you've been and no matter what you've done, God is delighted. To meet with you at this moment. Do you remember the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15? He told three parables about three things that were lost. Lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And he talked about the celebration when each of these things were found. Think about us. How excited are we to find our lost pet? when Buffy the cat gets lost and we put up the signs and Buffy the cat comes home, how excited are you for that family pet to come home? Be honest. How excited do you get when you put on a pair of jeans and you reach in the pocket and you pull out $20? You're like, yeah! Or what about, you know, those moments of panic as a, as a parent when, it, when a toddler gets lost in the mall and then that relief and that excitement when you find them? How much more Is God the Father glad to save, find, and welcome me and you into his presence? When we understand that God is delighted to see us, it makes us delighted to see him. And that fills our hearts and our souls with awe and gladness and generosity. Let me ask you a question that one of my seminary professors asked in a sermon. It's a favorite question. What makes an excellent worship service, right? When you leave worship, how do you evaluate what is a good worship service? Skillful musicians, we certainly have those. Biblical preaching, beautiful singing, friendly people, all without social distancing at some point, right? All of these things are good things. But listen to what Jesus said about worship in Matthew 15, quoting from Isaiah 29. He said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. I would submit to you that the quality of worship is determined by how much our hearts mirror the delight in God that God has for us. So whether you're in the sanctuary right now, whether you're in the fellowship hall, the conference center, whether you're worshiping at home during this pandemic, that's what will motivate you and I to be intentional about worshiping with wonder and joy. Not only for our joy, but listen... Worship is also good for us because Jesus taught us that we will become what we worship. We will become what we worship. We will start to look like what we worship. And if we worship the triune God of the Bible, then we will be filled with awe in our souls and gladness and generosity in our hearts. But the opposite is also true. If we worship anything else in creation, what the Bible calls idolatry or sin, then we will not become what we were created to be, and we will not live the beautiful lives that we are capable of living. If we worship sex or politics, wealth, or anything else, then we are woefully falling short and failing to live as followers Of Jesus. The first beautiful story that was shared about the early Christian movement was that they had awe in their souls and generosity and gladness in their hearts. What a beautiful story to tell. But there's more. There's a second story that Dr. Luke shares about these earlier followers of Jesus, and it's this. Back in verse 42 again, it says they were devoted to learning truth and loving others. Learning truth and loving others. It says they gave themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, what does apostles teaching mean? It basically means, as John Stott says, the Holy Spirit opened up a school in Jerusalem and the apostles were the teachers and these 3000 believers were the kindergartners and they devoted themselves to studying God's word. Now, if you go back and read in Acts chapter 2, you see that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result, they devoted themselves to the study of God's Word. So many Christians today think, you know what? If we study too much, then we're going to squash the Holy Spirit. But one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. That's what Jesus called him. Truth matters to the Spirit of Truth. To be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with the Word of God. To be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with the Word of God. Being filled with the Spirit is never set against the intellect or doctrine. We study the Bible because we are eager to know the Lord And if you just started reading the Bible, right? We do that at the beginning of years. We're like, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to read through the Bible. That's great. And even if you're only starting with five minutes a day, that's great. But it's going to take more than that. We've got to dig into it, meditate on it, wrestle with it so that we grow in truth and become biblically literate followers of Jesus Christ. And I love that you're doing that. I love that you're doing that. Do you know we had over 500 subscribers to our Advent devotionals? After we did the Psalms devotionals, people were like, we want more of that. It's helping us get into God's word. What a great start. What great hunger in this congregation. What great classes we're offering in adult education, communicants with our kids. What great opportunities do we have to study God's word? And we'd invite you, we'd encourage you, we'd challenge you to be a people who are devoted to God's word and lovers of it. Get involved in that. But what does fellowship mean? Because it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and also to fellowship. Now, our understanding of fellowship sometimes is just way too surface level. We think fellowship means, oh, count me in, donuts and coffee, I'm there. But fellowship is way more than donuts and coffee. Our director of care, Dr. Carolyn Sinclair, has given us these three words authentic, tenacious, and vulnerable. And that is what this type of fellowship is getting at. It's care for one another that happened on a regular basis, and it says day by day. It was done regularly in verse 46. And that type of care and that type of fellowship, it takes a lot of effort. We know it takes intentionality in this town to develop meaningful relationships and friendships. It was that way before the pandemic, and it's especially true now. We have to fight against isolation in these moments to be connected and involved in one another's lives. And notice how it describes this fellowship in verse 44. It was described as having everything in common They recognized that their brothers and sisters got their time and their hearts, but also the sharing of their material resources. And we'll say more about this later, but this is voluntary. It's informal, but it's a powerful sharing fueled by love, not rules. And it occurred in small groups in their homes, in their homes, small groups in their homes. Does that sound familiar? It's what we call community groups, home fellowship. We have over 70 of them around the DMV area, and we need a bunch more of them because a lot of you are wanting to jump into those. HFGs are now known as CGs, community groups. A lot of you want to jump into those, and so that's great, but we need more people to lead those groups as well. Don't stop meeting, even if it's by Zoom, phone, text, or mills. Community groups matter. So that's the second story that was told about these early followers of Jesus. They were devoted to learning truth, and they were devoted to loving others. But there's a third and final story that Luke shares about the early church. In verse 45, they were famous for something. They were famous for helping those in need, and they also had favor with all the people. They were famous for being radically different and unselfish, helping those who had need. And in verse 47, as a result, they had favor with all the people. What does this mean? It means they were winsomely persistent in sharing their faith and their lives It doesn't mean every non-Christian loved the early church, but it does mean that they demonstrated the gospel in a way that was attractive. And as a result, this is a historical reality. Christianity grew explosively in the first three centuries to all races and classes. We have several writings from that time, from the first three centuries, describing the early Christian movement in ways like this. It's crazy. They treat bond servants as brethren without distinction. They're known for their cheerfulness, the love of truth in one another, for caring for widows, orphans, strangers, the poor, prisoners, and the hungry. The Roman Emperor Julian is famous for being upset with growing Christianity and shrinking paganism, writing a letter and crediting Christians' growth because of their charity to the poor. And they're saying they're not only taking care of their own poor, they're taking care of our poor as well. You see, that's the result. When Christians, when followers of Jesus know that we were once strangers to God, that we were alienated from him, that we were his enemies, and he was willing to lay down his life for us. When we grasp that, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and know this, then that is the inevitable result in the life of Christians. And I ask are we making Jesus famous and beautiful by doing good? Are we caring for the needs of our neighbors who aren't even followers of Jesus? I'm so proud of our church. I am. I see us fighting to do that well. I, I, I see you doing that on a daily basis. I see you doing that in your sacrificial and generous and cheerful giving to, to our deacon's fund, which goes to meet the material needs, not only in this church, but, but in this city. And even in 2020, do you realize this? You increased your giving to the deacon's fund by over $150,000 in this difficult year. Friends, that's what we want to be known for, for caring for the weak, the vulnerable, and the marginalized. And if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, wouldn't you be curious about Jesus if you experienced that? in your life. And what's the result of that? Well, we're told in verse 47, the result of this attractive faith is that there were conversions daily. And when a person became a Christian, a Christ follower, it says that they were added to their number. What does that mean? It means when you were converted to Christ, you were incorporated into the church John Stott wrote, he didn't add them to the church without saving them, and he didn't save them without adding them to the church. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. The church is Jesus' bride. It's his building. It's his body. And he is devoted to his bride. He is devoted to his church. What is the church? It's the group of people who follow Jesus. Think about how devoted he was to his early followers. Jesus didn't stop meeting with his disciples, even though Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him, and Thomas doubted him, and he said, that's my church, and I'm sticking with them. His disciples were doubters, deniers, and deserters, and Jesus died for them. So don't let pandemics, don't let politics and don't let preferences divide us. Let us be devoted to Christ and to his bride in the way that he was devoted to us. Wrapping up, Acts 2, 42-47. That's the story that I long to be written about this church. Ah. Oh. If our kids and our grandkids would talk about us in this way, oh man, they had awe in their souls and they had generosity and gladness in their hearts. You know that church in the 2020s, man, they were devoted to learning truth and loving others. Oh, and they were a help to those in need. And they had favor with all the people. What kind of impact Would that have in our church, in our city, and in our nation for generations to come? It's been said by many, you know, I just can't believe in Jesus because Christians are hypocrites. Well, to that I'd say, yeah, I get it. I see it too. The church is full of hypocrites, sinners, and there's room for one more. There's room for one more. And actually, Christians are worse than you think, but take a look at Jesus. He's not a hypocrite, and he's better than you can possibly imagine. And in another way, in another real way, I long for our churches, I long for myself, I long for all of us to be more devoted to loving like Jesus so that the world would know Jesus and his grace. Let us be a church that glorifies and enjoys God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these are comforting and clear and challenging stories from the early church. But Father, we know that you love to do these things. You love to pour out your spirit upon your people. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that to this church family that this would be our testimony, that these would be the stories that generations would tell about our church. Father, and I pray that all of these things would start with me. I pray that these things would be in my heart and in my soul and in my life. And I pray that would be true of all of us in this church family so that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you would get all the glory and honor and praise that you deserve.